we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove. With me is Scott, the Velvet Glove. How are you, Scott? Really good, thanks, Trevor. How's yourself? I'm well, and Gretel the dog is on the improve, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, to the listeners that are interested, my dog has had skin complaints because of the heat and uh, that sort of thing, and she has been scratching herself to distraction, and that's what you heard last week. Yes. Anyway. So, so I inadvertently left that on, and I meant to edit it out, and, you know, depending on what version you downloaded, if you download now, you won't hear Gretel, but if you got the earlier version, you'd hear <laughs> Gretel whining away and being comforted by the Velvet Glove. Yes, so she, she was howling, so... Yeah. Mm. Well, Scott... You know, we've got four years of the gift that will keep on giving, and at the rate that he is going, President Trump is... I mean, this is an Australian podcast, but by golly, folks, I mean, these are relevant events from our own point of view in terms of our own immigration policies, so it's all worth discussing, but... Holy smokes, It is all worth discussing, but it, it is incredible how quickly out of the blocks he has been. Yes. He has, um... I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, we shouldn't be too surprised because he spent the campaign saying that he was going to be disruptive and all that sort of thing. Mm. Well, he's been very disruptive. It's been, what, 10 days since he was sworn in? Yeah, it couldn't be any more than that. And he has gone bunter. He has gone absolutely crazy. People people can't believe that a politician is doing what he said he was going to do. Exactly, yeah. You know, the thing about Trump is he said a million different things, some of them conflicting with each other, so you weren't real sure, you know, what you were going to get from him because of that. But um, mm. but anyway, let's sort of summarise um, what's happened with President Trump and the whole visa thing so that the dear listener who's, who's at the water cooler at the office and wanting to provide some interesting thoughts and analysis on the whole thing can can uh, be up to speed. So we've got Mm. President Trump signed an executive order banning holders of certain passports from entry into the USA. And it seemed to include green card holders and permanent residents. So people who are living in the USA and leaving temporarily to visit somebody could not get back in if they were unfortunate enough to hold a passport from... Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen. Um, so the interesting thing is that is that people were actually on flights when the order was made. There was no warning that it was so eminent, and the first time customs heard about it was when the order was made. So, so mm. that's the first thing was just the instantaneous notice or f- lack of notice that accompanied this and. Yeah, people who've been living in the States for many, many years, dual nationals, uh, holding a passport from, say, uh, Iran or Syria, um, couldn't get back in the country. Extraordinary. Yeah, and there was a case that was reported by the ABC where there was a, a woman who was studying in the United States. She'd been studying there for years. 
she was going on to doctorates and that sort of thing. And when she came back from the, when she was trying to get back into the country, she was coming back from visiting people in Iran. No, sorry, she she couldn't even board a plane because that it wasn't cleared for her to come back yet. Mm. So you know it's absolutely crazy. Mm. Had she have actually boarded the plane, she would have found herself detained like the hundred and six or three hundred and twenty five or whatever number it was, mm. who were detained at the border. Mm. It's absolutely crazy what he's done. Mm. Yeah. Scott, you've been through U.S. Customs. You've you've visited. I have. Yes. Yeah. I've visited oh, the U.S. Oh, oh, three times. Yeah. I find them the most horrible public servants on the face of the planet <laughs> like dear listener if you've never entered, i don't know uh, if, if you've uh, never entered the u.s <laughs> you've never experienced such a lack of oh of just good humor for starters like they're the most <laughs> surly uncooperative aggressive looking people you'll ever meet the guys who stamp your passport at a u.s custom so They'd love it. Like you might, some people might think, "Oh, I feel sorry for the customs people having to knock people back." I can assure you that, based on the U.S. customs people that I've met, they take great delight in just locking people they up. They would take great delight that, in doing that. Yes, yeah. that's my experience. So, um, so yes, I'm sure that they enforce the law with great glee. Uh, the ones that I've met, anyway. Um, mm. So interesting. The countries that were chosen by Trump. Um, Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia and Yemen no Pakistan, no Saudi Arabia um, no Afghanistan so these countries, well how did he choose them you're asking or you may already know but apparently it was based on uh, countries from a bill that President Obama signed that denied visa waivers to citizens of those countries so he sort of was a bit clever in choosing countries that that Obama had already highlighted for visa issues in the past. He had, yeah, he was clever, but he was also, um, uh, anyway, I can't remember the word that you, anyway. Disingenuous, Machiavellian, yeah, but he was, he was both of those things, but, um, what was particularly cruel about it all was, um, you know, Saudi Arabia is a country that has demonstrably provided money to terrorists and that sort of stuff, and mm. they have provided two-thirds of the hijackers on 9-11 were Saudis. Mm. And, you know, it's absolutely crazy that um, if you're going to... If you're going to pick a fight with anyone, they should be picking a fight with the Saudis. Mm. You know, it's... Crazy! It really is maddening. So, so my understanding is that there hasn't been a terrorist on U.S. soil from those countries. So the Orlando nightclub shooter was son of immigrants from Afghanistan. The San Bernardino shooters, first and second generation immigrants from Pakistan. Um, the Fort Hood killer, son of a Palestinian immigrants. The Sanarov brothers, um, they had Curies... Oh, that's a hard one. K Y R G Y Z nationality. I've never um, heard of that. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's from Kyrgyzstan, near all those other stans, um, Kazakhstan, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, not far from Trashkanistan, but that's another matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And the would-be Times Square bomber was a naturalised immigrant from Pakistan. So uh, the people that he has banned, uh, he's banned also everybody from those countries. So whether they're Jewish, Christian, Scientology or Pastafarian, they're all... They're yeah, all banned. So. They're all just outright banned, mm. yeah. So what he's effectively done is he's banned 8.122% of the world's Muslim population, effectively. There's still a lot left. It could come in. So that's that. The other And, you know, and he, has, he hasn't banned people from countries that have got a record of providing terrorists. Yes. You know, it's... Yes. It's really crazy, you it's, know. And why Pakistan got away with it is beyond me but anyway it's it's just an error prone approach but um i was my initial thought was scott how is it that a president can just sign a piece of paper and ban these people like i was thinking surely an act of you know it has to be a law passed through congress to get this done and one would have thought so, but mm. then I don't know much about the mechanics of uh, executive orders and mm. that sort of stuff. Well, I've, I've got an interesting mm. answer, Scott. Mm. So there is a there is a law already in place, which um, uh, number eight U.S. Code one one eight two, which says now this was a law written in nineteen fifty two, Scott. Yeah, which said. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, the president may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. So... There is a very clear law written <laughs> that, that in, just enables him to go and do that. Yeah. In 1952, Scott, which clearly Donald Trump is acting within. So when people mm. say, what an abhorrent action for President Trump to take, what you have to say to those people is, well... Back in 1952, they anticipated such a desire and wrote a law enabling a president to do that. So, yeah, which I find incredible that 1952, that would have been uh, Ike, wouldn't it? Would have been Eisenhower, wouldn't it? Oh, I don't know. But I, yeah. I can say that it was utilised by Jimmy Carter, no less, in 1979, really? to keep Iranians out of the United States, and he made all Iranian students already in the States check in, and he deported he deported a bunch of them. And, really? You know, okay. And, you know, Jimmy Carter, is, that would have been at the height of the um, crisis with Iran. Iran, yeah. Yeah, the... With the hostages. Yeah. But there you go. Yes, Somebody yeah. as well thought of as a humanitarian as Jimmy Carter actually exercise that law before Donald Trump mm. and lawmakers in the states anticipated this back in 1952 I find that amazing like people think this is a bolt out of the blue how could he possibly do it and their lawmakers passed the law back then very interesting it is very interesting yeah for mm. sure also yeah. 
simultaneously, almost, Scott, like this happens, and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada says, well, anybody who's caught out by this new action, come here to Canada, we'll, we'll take you. We're not bigots and xenophobes and we're not racist. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did hear that, yeah. And, and almost the next day, uh, six people are killed in a Quebec mosque. In a, yeah, in a terrorist act. That was, yeah, that was a that was a shocking bloody thing that happened. Mm. Um, the guy that shot him, the guy that shot them up, was um, his Facebook media and his social media and that sort of stuff was full of him praising President Trump and all that type of thing. So mm. he has been linked very much to the Trump camp. Mm. Seems like he was an anti-immigrant, pro-Trump, far-right nutter. Yeah, exactly. Seems yeah. that way. Mm. So that happened. Uh, now, we had a deal going with the US to take some of our refugees from Nauru. And that was with... Yeah. That was you know, a deal struck with Obama. And mm. it's incredible that they're still maintaining that that deal seems to be on the cards and still possible. It's hard to imagine that Trump is going to, after all this... Say, so, oh yeah, yeah, we'll take those thousand yeah. Syrians off Australia's hands. Like, really? I find it really hard to believe that he's going to honour the American side of the deal. Mm. I would be extremely surprised if uh, if that they do end up going there, mm. because they are all nationals of the countries that have been listed yeah. and that sort of thing. So. Mm. I mean, they're banned from getting into the country for at least 90 days, aren't they? Uh, 120 or something like that. But, 120 but, days, yeah. But um, apparently that agreement is not much of an agreement anyway. It's simply that America would look at them and, and vet them and maybe let them in. But there was, no, there was no actual deal other than just to look at them. So, mm. you know, when you hear that Donald Trump says he's going to honour the deal, well... He could honour it just by looking at it and then saying, actually, we've looked at them, we don't like them, so we're not taking them. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there was no concrete sort of... It, it, it was a pretty loose deal, that one, in, in a best-case scenario. So so yeah, that's happened. Exactly. So, um, so that's the sort of news, and now let's just talk about the rights and wrongs of it, Scott. Like, well, what do you reckon? Is it... Let, granted, let's 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 just say initially how clumsy it is to uh, maybe get the wrong countries, or maybe you should get more countries, like just that side of things. And also, yeah, let's assume, for example, that he excluded green card holders and permanent residents and people already living there, because that's just clearly nuts to just effectively deport people in that situation. But just the general idea of saying, well, there's a whole bunch of countries and we're just going to put an immediate stop to it until we can really look closely. Any thoughts on the well, morals of that? The morality of it is um, it stinks, the whole thing. It really is a... Um, effectively, he has waved a magic wand over the, um, over the uh, customs area and said no Muslims beyond this point. Well, hang on. Well, Let me just play devil's advocate. No, he's, he's said that to 8.1% of the Islamic population. But, but he also said it to a bunch of others. Yeah, he also said it to a bunch of others. But, you know, he's, yeah. he's said... Yeah, okay. 
It's not Muslims. They are from Muslim majority countries. That's for sure. Yep. He has said that if you are if you are born in the, if you have a if you have a uh, if you have a passport from those any of these countries, you can't get in. Mm. So I think that's. Um, so do you think just just discriminating against people based on their passport and no other factors is is unfair? Oh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I do think it is unfair. I. Um, I did take a lot. Of, I did take a long time thinking about this, and because when it first happened, I thought to myself, "No, nah, this is crazy." But then I just thought to myself, "No, nah, I've got to think about it and that sort of stuff." I understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I do understand what he's trying to do. He is trying to make the country safer. Yes, but he has completely done it ass about. He has gone in it. Pig-headed, he's gone in it uh, like a bull in a, but like a bull at a gate, and he has stuffed it up completely. Right. Let's just get back he, to the issue of yeah of just simply deciding based on somebody's nationality that you're going to discriminate mm-hmm. against them. You reckon that's unfair? Mm-hmm. I think that is unfair. Yes. Yeah. Scott, we do it every day of the week. I know that. I understand that, but um, so, so we. We probably do it in a different way because, I mean, if you've got people that are coming here on a tourist visa, for example, mm. and they come from any of these countries, yes. they have to prove that they've got enough um, money back home and that sort of stuff to prove that they're not just going to jump ship and, and you know, apply for asylum and all that sort of stuff when they get here. Exactly. It is just very true. Dear, dear listener, so if, if you're from a Western country and you apply to come into Australia as a tourist then it's a straightforward process. Just apply and it's, yeah, it's automatic. Exactly. Yeah. If you live mm. in a poor country, uh, then it's not as of right. You have to provide additional information whereby you are independently wealthy or you've got family connections or other reasons that would make the Australian government feel comfortable that you will not stay and you'll actually return. And so we... Yeah. we discriminate against people every day of the week based on yeah, their but we're doing nationality. That, we, are, we are doing that based on because, their nationality, yes, that yes. is true, but we are also doing it uh, to stop based them. on... Um, we are based on... What we're, what we're trying to do is stop them resettling here. Yes. Yeah, we are but doing just, that to stop them resettling here. Yeah. But I do think that... Uh, I do think the way Trump's gone about it, though, is um, it is it is wrong what he's done. Yeah, well, you know, it, definitely wrong in the sense of clumsy and inept and missing out on countries and not excluding green card holes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the basic premise that you might say that you're going to discriminate based on a country, I don't know that that's wrong. Like, you could say. Statistically, these countries have a problem and therefore we need to provide extra vetting on individuals coming from certain countries because we know statistically that there's more problems likely to come from those areas. Like, that just makes sense. Yeah, it probably does make sense. But mm-hmm. I also think that those countries that he, have, he has nominated, though, mm. they are probably going to be... Um, they're probably going to be. Um, ex- they're probably going to be. Um, well, a tourist coming from Iraq mm. 
is not going to get just waved through like you and I do. No. They're going to get um, they're going to get vetted and that sort of stuff at the border. Mm. So I do think that um, mm. I do think he could have just maintained what he's already got. Mm. You know, Scott, we, yeah. we previously spoke about uh, dual nationals, people holding two passports. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, and I don't think that's yeah, I don't I don't think that's right. I think that they because um, I said I think if you get, if you're going to take if you're going to take up if you're going to take up citizenship of this country, you should lose your other citizenship. That's what I, <laughs> or do whatever you can to get rid of it. Well, I yeah. think I think we said that a long time ago. Like it'd be going back yeah. many episodes. But dear listener, I think we mm. said ages ago. Well, if you want to be an Australian citizen, you should renounce your other citizenship. And yeah, exactly. You know what if Australia goes to war against your other country, like what happens then? So that's the whole point of citizenship mm. is to say, well, I'm on your side and not the other side. And I don't know, Scott, there's just a little bit of irony in this for me where, because I don't like the idea of dual citizenship. If those people had actually, you know, just gone for new uh, US citizenship and had renounced their old citizenship, they'd actually be okay. So... Yeah, exactly, and, mm. and that is um, that really so, is um, that really is the, the simple way to do it is to say that you've got to renounce your citizenship before you take up your new citizenship. Yeah, but the green card holder that was um, from Iran that was mm. that couldn't board a plane to go back to America. Yeah, she wasn't a citizen of America. Yeah, she, she was, was a citizen of Iran and that sort of stuff. She was just there on a student visa. Yeah, so there were a number who and weren't dual. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm. So that 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 is a problem, and you know you've also got um, the situation where you've got uh, you know you, you did see a lot of people there that were long term citizens of the US who had been arrested mm. at the at the at the uh, customs place, and uh, mm, I, I don't no, know no, why was... they are. They, mm. I don't know why the hell if they've got kids there and that sort of stuff. Why the hell they wouldn't renounce their citizenship and, and well, become Americans. Yeah. yeah, well, it's probably not that easy. So there's probably mm. more to it involved than just making a statement. But, um, yeah. Scott, let's look at what some people have said. And um, I've mentioned before on the podcast Gad Sad, who is a Canadian character. Yes. And, um, He's got a very interesting yeah. write-up here, doesn't he? Here's, here's what Gad Sad had to say. At the basis of a country's immigration policy is the recognition that a country has the right to pursue its interests first and whenever it wishes to be altruistic and humane, this is instantiated without ever risking the danger of its citizens and or its cultural values. A country does not need to cede an inch of its sense of security. It does not need to place a single of its citizens at risk. As such, it is unclear how to strike the right balance between the suicidal empathy and associated faux-liberal platitudes and, uh, as against ill-informed xenophobic rigidity. But somewhere between these two endpoints of the continuum lies the optimal policy. Uh, Those who wish to find the balance of valuable members of this great debate, etc. So... Yes, uh, suicidal. And that's a very em- sensible. Mm. What he said, yeah. I mean, it, it it makes perfect sense. It comes down to like, what did you describe it as clumsy and that sort of stuff? What the way it's been implemented. Mm. 
And then you've got um, me probably being on the bleeding heart side of things, saying that you should just let everyone in. Suic- you know, perhaps uh, suicidally yeah. empathetic and <laughs> with an associated faux liberal platitudes. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. As opposed to ill-informed xenophobic rigidity. So that was Gad Sad on, on that one. Um, and, um, well, just on this sort of faux-liberal platitudes, um, uh, because there are a lot of protests and stuff, and um, Gad Sad again says, um, issues of civilizational importance are best solved via liberating... Childlike feel-good platitudes. So he gives some of the platitudes he's, he's talking about. Diversity is our strength. Love trumps hate. Peace through music. Make love, not war. Violence is never the answer. Uh, he says here, Suicidal childlike regression feels so good, especially when delivered using an air of haughty moral smugness. <laughs> Ah, the West is largely run by petulant children inhabiting the bodies of grown-ups. Has anyone seen Winston Churchill? He's needed in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gad Sad. Remember, well, you remember what Winston Churchill said about Islam, Scott? He did say it was a. Um, he said it was a threat to uh, Western society or something like that. Um, that it is a. Uh, he did say it was a threat to yeah, to something or other. Yeah, yeah, it was a threat, yeah. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world. Winston Churchill on, on Islam. Mm. Got a few uh, articles. And, you know, uh, and he, was, he was looking at it too because he was up close and personal with it. Mm, he was. So, you know, it is, yeah. Mm. There's a few articles on the website, dear listener, that you can look at. So these Gad Sad ones are there. There's an article from David Frum from The Atlantic. And um, he has an interesting thing to say. Let me just go forward to that. Um, Here we go. He says, um, Trump's executive order has unleashed chaos harmed lawful U.S. residents and alienated potential friends in the Islamic world. Yet, without the dreamy liberal refusal to recognise the reality of nationhood, the meaning of citizenship and the differences between cultures, Trump would never have gained the power to issue that order. There's a very interesting line here, Scott, is, when liberals insist that only fascists will defend borders, then voters will hire fascists to do the job liberals won't do. I think that's what's happened. Yeah, that's that's very true. And if you've got, to, and that is, um, you know, last week when we were talking about the, um, oh, I can't even remember it, but it was a discussion about uh, the left had 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 ceded ground to the right. Yeah, that was he on, had uh, made the that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. He had made that very point that if the right, if you've got a situation like in South America, where you've got no immigration problems hmm. then the left has come out and spoken up and against and uh, well, globalization got voted in and is able to work on things like globalization that's right but exactly yeah. um the left refusing to engage on the issue um mm. 
has been left out of power. So Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll repeat it again. When liberals insist that only fascists will defend borders, then voters will hire fascists to do the job liberals won't do. I I really mm. think that's that's what's happened there. Scott yeah, exactly. There was a poll of Americans asking, do you agree or disagree with the executive order that President Trump signed? Blah, blah, blah. And the answer is just under 50% um, agree with what he's done. Mm. So it's a large yeah, number of Americans. that doesn't surprise me. Mm. Uh, just less than 25% of Democrats agree and roughly 75% of Republicans agree. So... Large support there, despite all the histrionics and marches going on around the world. Um, mm. um, that was about the Nauru. Um, that was Gad sad about the middle ground. Um, got an article here titled, There's no moral difference between a wall and a migrant visa. Yeah, and this is um, what I was referring to earlier when it talked about the difference on tourist visas. Yes. You know, it, it does say that the if you come from a poor country, you can't get a tourist visa like we could if we went to the US. Yes. But because we come from a first world country and that sort of stuff, we get the visa waiver program waived through. Mm. Where so this was the a- assumption is we're going to leave, you know. This was an article I was going to do last week, Scott, which was before this Trump thing, just because it was going to be on the topic of of the Trump wall and people just going ape over his decision to build a wall. And Mm. really the point of this article is to say, well, visas are a wall as well, just a different form of it, and nobody's, you know, jumping up and down about them. You have to treat these things the same way, so... People need to be consistent in their thinking, and it just seems that people are unwilling to be. So, so there's an article saying that there's no moral difference between uh, a big wall and a visa system that we have. And I think he's right. There's not much difference. After I read it, I, I found myself agreeing with him. Yeah, he's right. You know. Mm-hmm. With respect to border policy, the status quo is morally incoherent. Either the rich countries of the world should embrace fully open borders, perhaps with the exceptions of certain kinds of criminals, or they should enforce land borders just like the air and the sea routes. Mm-hmm. And he's right. You know, mm-hmm. it is. You know, it is. It is right what he said. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. We're talking about ethical, moral dilemmas. Really. It's all about you know, case studies, and if all the elements are the same, then you should have the same response. And when people don't, it just means that they haven't thought about them. Uh, mm. so, um, so the other sort of topic, dear listener, that you can add to this whole debate around the water cooler would be, and I didn't give you this one, Scott, because I only just found it late this afternoon, um, you know, the outrage at the so-called Muslim ban. Yet, for five decades, um, basically Middle East countries have been operating a similar ban in relation to Jews. Yeah, exactly. Got yeah. a Jewish pass- an Israeli passport and try and get into an mm-hmm. Islamic majority country in the Middle East it or even outside the Middle East. 
Yeah, even if you even if you are travelling on an Australian passport, if you if they notice that your passport's been stamped by Israel, Correct. you can't get into Saudi, Iran, or anywhere like that. You know, where were the protests from from the liberals, the liberal left, with their faux platitudes, complaining about yeah. the treatment of Israelis in the entire Middle yeah. East? Where were they? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is crazy. And there, there was another article I was reading this week that um, said, that made the point that if Israel disarmed itself right now, mm. they, they then said, you know, do you really think that Hezbollah would sit back and say, okay, the war's <laughs> over? <laughs> no, they would drive them into the Mediterranean. You know? yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. So, Scott, uh, just no. back to this uh, Israeli passport thing. So, yeah. uh, the seven countries banned by Trump, they all ban Israeli passport holders yeah. already. And there's a whole bunch of other ones. Um, yeah. United Arab Emirates, uh, even outside the Middle East, um, Bangladesh, Brunei, Malaysia, Pakistan. Um, so, and given that uh you know israel is 97 percent jewish then when you are banning an israeli citizen you are very effectively picking on one religion um more, exactly. more so than even trump has done so um um yes and a number of countries would not even let you or I in, Scott, if we had a visa stamp on our passports showing that we had been to Israel. Israel, yeah, mm. exactly. So, uh, um, it's just a, you know, I mean, it's an all right thing for me because I've got no ever desire to travel to any of those countries. Mm. You know, <laughs> you know, it, but, uh, exactly. So what they've done now is actually yeah. Israel stops stamping passports. I think they issue you with a sort of a separate sheet or something like that. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Um, but many countries for years had to issue um, you know second alternative passports for their citizens um, who were in that position. Um, mm. da, 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 da. His final comment. So in governments, people and politicians outraged by Trump's temporary selectively applied Muslim ban brand him as an Islamophobe. They should look at themselves in the mirror and query if anti-Semites have been in their ranks for decades. What's political for Trump is geopolitical for a plethora of Middle Eastern governments. How true. It is very true, isn't it? Right. Well, there you go, dear listener. That's given you an up-to-date summary of where the Trump immigration debate stands. We shall move on, Scott. A few few different ones. Um, Susan Lay, former Minister for Health... Got into a bit I of didn't trouble. Believe you when, you when you sent me this through, yeah, and then I couldn't re- I couldn't believe it when I actually read it. One of our anyway, one of yeah. our dear listeners uh, told us about it. I, I was actually aware yeah. of it beforehand. I think it was Matt who might have uh, mentioned it. Um, yeah, but Susan Lay, uh, former Minister for Health, um, recently resigned due to expense travel problems. expenses. Mm. Yes, mm. her name uh, is currently spelled S U S I N. And when she was born, her name was just with one S, Susan. 
So she's changed it to two S Susans. And her reason, her reason for doing so is a belief in numerology. <laughs> uh. You've you got to wonder at people, don't you? Mm. You know, it's... It's the calibre anyway, of our minister, former Minister for Health. Change yeah. of name due to numerology. Mm. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Mm. Mm. Uh, another listener, Sue. Thank you, Sue, for alerting us to this one. There's a new... Um, yes, this well, was really amazing, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, what do you do, Scott, when you're a, a new New South Wales Premier and you're uh, reshuffling the ministry and you've got in your ranks a female politician who is known to be pro-life, uh, anti-abortion, what, what do you think would be the ideal portfolio for such, for such a talented woman? I got it. Yes? The women's ministry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear listener. That's what's happening in New I, South Wales. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I couldn't believe that, that she, you know, she, that she appointed someone who was pro-life, anti-abortion to that role. Yes, to min- you know? Minister for Women. For goodness yeah. sake. So the uh, press were right onto her at her first, you know, interview and were saying, well, you know, you're pro-life, anti-abortion, are you going to be changing any laws? And uh, she said, well, I'm going to read my brief and I'm not going to rule anything in or out. And about a minute later, the, uh, the Premier said, I'm going to rule everything out. We're not going to change anything in relation to those issues. <laughs> <laughs> so an uncomfortable, yeah, I mean, I, I... an uncomfortable moment for the new Premier, but she deserved every yeah. second of it for appointing a pro-lifer as your minister for women, goodness mm. sake! It was it was really credi- incredible, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So Scott, that uh, so that's two articles from dear listeners. I would like at this stage to make a special mention of our our patrons who have made donations and continue to do so through Patreon. Thank you, Sean, Alex, Elsa, Janelle, and Al. Your support is much appreciated. Thank you very much, dear listener. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yes. If you're not already making a small donation, you are invited to do so. A dollar a show. It's not so much the money as... Well, that helps to pay for some expenses. But it's more genuinely saying, good job, guys. Keep up the good work is sort of how I see it. So, yeah. Yeah, it does make us feel good. That's right. It's, got, it's a feel-good factor more than a monetary one. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Scott, I uh, was going through some papers. Um, my mother gets Meals on Wheels. And yes, okay. uh, they get a little newsletter. And just prior mm-hmm. to the Christmas delivery, I actually might have come with a Christmas delivery of Meals on Wheels, uh, was the newsletter. And this is just indicative of how Christians have got fingers in so many pies. And <laughs> just... Just the newsletter from Meals on Wheels. Third paragraph. One of the main reasons we give and receive presents at Christmas is to remember the presents given to Jesus. Frankincense, a perfume used in Jewish worship. Gold, this is associated with kings, and Christians believe that Jesus is the king of kings. And myrrh was a perfume that was put on dead bodies to make them smell nice. 
and as a gift it showed that Jesus would suffer and die. Christmas itself is really about a big present that God gave the world about 2,000 years ago. Jesus! Exclamation mark. It goes on. Just, you cannot escape them. Just, yeah, it really is um, quite sickening when you when you look at it, isn't it? It's, you know, they, they just, they've got to put their their fingers in every pie, don't they? Mm. Yeah. So I don't believe that Meals on Wheels has any religious affiliation at all. I had a quick Google and... It may have started off with a religious affiliation, but these days I don't think it's got any affiliation. It's just a, it's a secular organisation. Yeah, I think it's just the lady who writes this newsletter decided it was her own personal opportunity to get on a soapbox yeah. And, yeah, exactly. and bash everybody over the ears with a bit of Bible bashing. Oh. I got that off my chest. Okay. I was going to write a letter I'm of complaint. I'm pleased to hear that. I was going to write a letter of complaint and my wife told me I wasn't allowed to. So somebody else <laughs> somebody else write one to Ashgrove Meals on Wheels, please, on my behalf. <laughs> uh, Scott, negative gearing. Yeah, it's a uh, favourite little bug- bugbear of yours, isn't it? <laughs> No other country in the world allows negative gearing on residential property like we do. Maybe there's yeah, one other. It, it, Maybe New Zealand. I can't remember. But we're yeah, the, we're, I couldn't recall. I think, I think we're the only ones who allow it. And Ooh. guess what? We've got skyrocketing housing prices. Like Sydney is now just the most unaffordable city on the planet. For housing, mm. next you know it's up there with Tokyo, and yeah, it's up there with Hong Kong as well. You know, which is crazy. Yeah, and just recently we've had um, Malcolm Turnbull come out, um, and because the Labor Party is talking about various ways of phasing out negative gearing, and Turnbull and. Um, well, they're they're not phasing it out. They're going to they're going to restrict it only to new houses. Yeah. So it's got to be it's got to be a new build and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think that they should phase it out across the board and just sort of say, well, you know, in this for the next three years, we're not going to touch it. But then after that, you get ninety percent, then eighty percent, seventy percent, sixty percent. Yeah, phase it out that way. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, Turnbull's doing a scare campaign saying that Labor wants to punish mum and dad investors, uh, indicating that um, if they touch negative gearing, then prices will plummet. And yet, uh, a year ago... Uh, well, but, well, actually, that's what he said... Um, ages ago, in 2016, and now he's saying that uh, negative gearing is not to blame for the housing crisis and the and the prices. So on the one hand, he says there's no point touching negative gearing because it's not to blame. And on the other hand, he says, well, Labor's decision to try and wind it back or reduce it will actually cause prices to drop. Like you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You, you can't have it both ways. It is it is ridiculous the way he's conducting himself over this this particular issue. He has painted himself into a corner. He's saying that, you know, Labor's, Labor's response will result in a downward pressure on prices. Yep. 
and then he's also then saying that it's got nothing to do with negative gearing. It's because of the afford, It's because of the supply of housing. Yes, you can't have it both ways. No. It is one or the other. So he's really got to. He's got to get it right. What he's going to do, and yes. I don't for the life. Of, I would never want to see um, negative gearing wiped out in one fell swoop. Mm. But if you have it phased, if you have it phased out over. 13 years where you say we're not going to touch it for the next three years then after that it's 90 percent 80 percent 70 percent blah 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 yep i think that would be a way to phase it out mm. and it would phase it out fairly and squarely too yep. you know and then you know it, it's um there was someone from the grattan institute in one of the articles i was reading this week who said that um that their impact on prices of Labor's policy would be barely 0.8 of 1%. Hmm. Uh, and they were saying that if you compare that to housing prices, the way they've gone up yep. over the last 10 years, it's it's virtually nothing, hmm. you know. Hmm. It is crazy, yeah. That was their analysis, that's right. So, um, but it's got, it just makes sense to me that it would have to put downward pressure on prices because there's just less people will be wanting to buy them they'll be buying shares or other things so exactly it really it really would it really would i'm suspicious it would have a of that grattan report being a bit conservative but anyway what what do i know but it just sounds to me a, a bit conservative but i hope the prices would go down I mean, I own some i own a property i want prices to go down because i want my kids to be able to afford a property so there we go. Well, I would like to see property prices plateau for a while mm. and rather than go backwards or anything like mm. that and give, give wages a chance to catch up to them. You know? It's really a battle between generations. It's, it's the older generation oh, who have benefited from it, saying, screw you, younger generation. <laughs> We're not letting you and, and I, have a go. I am one of those, I'm one of mm. those that I'm sitting in this house that I, I paid 165000 for. Mm. Well, we have a long twenty years ago now, yes. and it was—it's um, just been recently mm. valued at seven fifty. Mm. You know, it's—it really is crazy. And, yeah. y- yep, young kids are missing out. Mm, Scott, exactly. Um, essential report. Uh, yes, I saw this. I saw this link that you sent me, but I, I closed it down as soon as I saw that oh, it was the essential report because I good. thought you'd want to do a quiz on me. Oh, I'll do yeah. a quick quiz. I thought you might have looked at it, but that's all right. Um, Two party preferred, Scott. If an election was held today, uh, what would the result be? It would probably be a Labor victory, fifty-one to forty-nine. According to Essential Report, it's fifty-four to forty-six. Really? Okay, mm. it's gone up. Yep. So. Mm. Um, Turnbull's taking a hit. The, mm-hmm. the other interesting one in this one, Scott, was it would be interesting to see what would happen to those numbers if Abbott was leading the opposite, was leading the government. Yeah, well, I think it'd be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Even though Turnbull's turning out to be a mini Abbott anyway, but yeah, Scott, exactly. yeah. the Trans Pacific Partnership. Remember the zombie? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> well um, the question was put, uh, do you think Australia should pull out of the TPP or continue to negotiate an agreement without the US? And uh, the number of people that Probably said s- Australia should negotiate an agreement, Australia should pull out of the TPP, 
and don't knows. Should pull out probably 60%, probably 35, 40% saying that we should continue and don't know would be the balance. Okay. Uh, saying that we should continue with the TPP, 52%. And saying, okay. we, saying yeah. we should pull out of the TPP, 19%. Really? Don't knows, 29%. I am really surprised at that. I really thought that they would be much higher uh, saying that we should pull out. Scott, these people clearly have no idea what's in a TPP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which um, brings me to my next, the next one is, they've asked people here, level of taxation. Do you think the following pay too much tax, not enough tax, or about the right amount of tax? Large business, small business, people on low incomes, people on average incomes, people on high incomes, you personally, mining companies, retirees, large international companies, e.g. Google, uh, religious organisations. Actually, let's do that one. Religious organisations. Uh, how many say they don't pay enough tax? 60% probably say they're not good. paying enough tax. 58%. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So all those different groups, the numbers jump all over the place. Like, you know, 31% say retirees don't pay enough, but... Uh, 61% say mining companies don't 72% say Google doesn't pay enough people on money they're all over the shop but what what they needed what they really would have been really interesting with this would be to say to people what is the rate of tax these people pay because they'd have no idea no they wouldn't they wouldn't have any idea what what the rate of tax is that people pay and um with the retirees, you know, I find that one ridiculous because I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent here, mm. but it is um, the level of tax that you pay, it shouldn't depend on where your money comes from. Mm. It really should just be income is income is income. Mm. Mm. And that means that, you know, your superannuation pension and all that sort of stuff, it should be taxed the way a person that works pays tax. Yeah, you know, I, I do find it ridiculous that we have bent over backwards for superannuation mm. retirees. Mm. Mm. So anyway, uh, so that annoyed me that all those figures were all over the shop, and I reckon just people, if they were asked, couldn't have couldn't have nominated what rates these people pay, and they wouldn't have known. No, they, they wouldn't be able to tell you. No. Mm. Dear listener. Not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, Wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Scott, last week we talked about uh, the excuse me the um, American uh, feminist protesters, uh, Trump rallies who were donning hijabs, often being the American flag that they were converting into a hijab. Mm-hmm. And, and we were saying how ridiculous it was. That's right. And um, and how the rationalist newsletter was sort of uh, 
praising that and at the same time uh, there was a thing about the billboards with the hijabi girls anyway mm. just going back to the uh to the rallies in america there's an article here from a lady called sheree Behrens, who is an american woman living in egypt and she talks about her experience uh, on the streets of egypt uh, with the inauguration and the rallies and mm. she says here Due to the time difference here in Egypt, I had to stay up all night for three nights to watch the pre-inauguration, inauguration and post-inauguration activities. Many thousands of Egyptians did the same. Every coffee shop with a satellite dish was packed to the maximum. Egyptians were enthralled and impressed by the peaceful process, but also the pomp and circumstance. Um, The coffee shop roared loudly with cheers when Trump said radical Islam will be eradicated from the planet. A uh, bit later on in this article, then on the TV we began to see video of the women's march. The entire coffee shop gasped in disbelief at the vision of American women donning the headscarf. And worse, some of the headscarves were made of the American flag. The women in the coffee shop began to get visibly agitated. One said, We have been fighting rem- to remove the headscarf. Why are these stupid women putting them on? It was explained on TV that the Women's March was based on a civil rights platform. The women in the coffee shop shook their heads and asked, Rights? The headscarf will take away your rights. One young woman shouted at the TV. And, you know, this is from people that live in a country Mm. where it says a couple of paragraphs down... um, in Muslim countries such as Egypt, women who do not wear the headscarf are often sexually harassed or attacked. They are beaten, they are raped, and sometimes they are killed. Mm. You know, it is. this is from a country where it's expected, it's not, it's not legally enforced, but it is expected that you'll wear something over your head. Mm-hmm. And they are saying, no, you don't want it. You know, you don't want to do that, you know. Mm. I I found that incredible when I was reading this. I thought to myself, I don't think the women in the United States fully understand what they're doing Mm. when they are donning a headscarf like that. They don't understand. Um, And on a similar topic, an article by Majid Nawaz talking about, um, or titled... Playboy and the false normalisation of the hijab. Uh, Playboy magazine just featured an article about a hijab-wearing Muslim-American, Noor Taguri, making a forceful case for modesty. And the issue in October showcased this lady wearing a hijab. And he goes on and makes various comments. But the bit that I really wanted to say from Majid Nawaz was... Uh, He says, up until the 1980s, the female body was not shamed out of public view in Muslim-majority societies. But from the 80s onwards, theocratic Islamism began replacing Arab socialism as the ideology of resistance against the West. This struggle against the other necessitated defining what is ours and what is theirs. And women, of course, were deemed ours. Suddenly, women's bodies became the red line in a cultural war against the West, started by theocratic Islamism. Uh, 
religious dress codes became a crucial marker in these cultural purity stakes. Any uncovered woman was now deemed loose, decadent and attention-seeking, in short, aligned to the Western enemy. So I wasn't really quite aware of it in those terms, Scott, but saying that it was part of the battle against the West um, and not just homegrown misogyny. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's not a lot you can say about it except just read the article. It is very good. Mm. You know, he's got a final line here. Let us not ban the hijab, but let us not glamorise it either. Mm. And I think he's right. Mm. You know. Yep. Well, Scott, we've come up to uh, just about time, I reckon. So, uh, Oh, have we? Yes. Okay. So I think we'll hold over everything else until next week, which it should get a run, unless Donald Trump does something extraordinary in the meantime, which <laughs> is not it's out very of, possible. Not out of the question. Yes. So um, so there you go, dear listener. Thank you for that. We will be back next week and we'll talk to you then. See you then. Bye now. Bye. Cheers. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.